Hello listeners, this is Heather Flood. Welcome to my home podcast. I am a children's author. You, here you can listen to me reading my novel Snowwear in installments. And you can visit my website www.snowwarethebook.com Snowwear is spelled with two W's in the middle. You can buy the book at www.lulu.com or at Amazon. And at Amazon you can read my blog. Now if you're sitting comfortably, I will begin with Snowwear Chapter 1. Race you to the bottom! I don't think so. Vinnie Armstrong, who had proposed the race, was a dark-haired boy with so many freckles, it was a miracle he hadn't earned the nickname Measles or Join the Dots. Perhaps Vinnie's frank, blue-eyed gaze was what had, st had spared him this humiliation. Arthur Moe, who had turned the race down, was a round boy, the only Arthur in the school. As now, it was his habit of pausing to take a puff from his inhaler that had made everyone change his name to Orphamal. Vinnie hadn't known him particularly well before this last week. They weren't in the same class at school, but on this skiing holiday, Arthur had become Vinnie's best friend. Crikey, it's steep! Arthur had been avoiding looking too closely at the snow-covered drop in front of them. The two boys had left the nursery slopes for the first time today. Vinnie had been more than a little irked by taunts across the hotel's vast dining room at breakfast. Taunts from Jez Riley and Frankie Manson. Still in the nursery, Ivan? Theirs was not the only school party occupying the hotel. A host of unknown heads his own age had swivelled that very morning, and Vinnie, weaving with his tray to the table where Arthur was keeping a seat for him, wished he had the power to aim his bowl of cornflakes accurately at, at twenty metres right towards Frankie's grinning maw. Aware of his hot cheeks, he had muttered to his friend, Today's the day, Art. We're going up that hill. This was why, after shakily strapping themselves into their boots, shouldering their skis and trekking with ski poles gripped in one free hand, they had trudged, not speaking, to the bottom of the nearest toe. Here they had slipped their skis on and had each grimly grappled with a toe button. Vinnie had felt something like exhilaration as, gaining height, they were able to scan the multicoloured figures zigzagging downhill. But when he glimpsed Arthur's woebegone face, a flutter of fear tickled Vinnie's own tummy. At least now they were a short way down their descent. Arthur's moans of a few moments ago had made Vinnie shout, Snowplow! Toes pointing inwards, ski planks practically crossed in front, bodies wobbling with the strain that this action put on their legs, the boys had slithered to an awkward stop. We weren't even going fast. Vinnie's tone was almost accusing. Then he saw how grey Arthur was looking. He waited politely while Arthur finished using his inhaler. Then he said, Hey, in no time you'll see, we'll be back playing table football. Oh, couldn't we sneak back early? Get out the way! An angry adult grazed Arthur's left sleeve. The boys were parked right in the path of other skiers. Did you see who that was? Yeah, Mr. Taylor. Well, if the teachers are so wrapped up in their own performances... Exactly. What's new? Then we won't be noticed if we go back to the hotel. 
First, there's just the small matter of getting down. Vinnie began to get into position. He was willing to give it a try. They had, after all, proved that they could stop. Arthur, as if suddenly driven by the prospect of a game of table football, manoeuvred himself with difficulty until he was poised, leaning on his poles, his short legs in alignment. Alarmed, Vinnie yelled, Just don't go in a straight line! Too late, Arthur was a speck. Vinnie was pretty sure he could hear him howl, although other sounds, the swish of skis and a very distant racket of rather soppy pop music played on the terrace of a cafe further down, drowned the noise. It was a bright March morning on that French alpine slope. Vinnie decided there was nothing he could do about Arthur. One of the other twenty or so pupils in his group would hopefully help him to pick himself up, for undoubtedly he would have fallen. Vinnie realised he would have to take his time descending, and he was going to do it by skiing against the side of the hill, first sweeping to the left, then in a long loop, doubling back to the right. And for the next few minutes, Vinnie coasted happily across a glistening white stretch of snow beneath a blue sky with peaks in the distance, lavender coloured in the morning light. Looping was not as easy as it had been during the dry slope lessons he'd had before the trip, or for that matter, throughout the previous few days on the nursery slope. Vinnie had managed to change direction twice now. His heart leapt into his mouth during each of his turns, when his skis, propelled by gravity, did an off a and invited him to plummet to the bottom. Vinnie soon began taking longer to begin his turns, he was covering a great deal of ground as he glided horizontally along the hill. A line of trees to his left marked the western boundary of the slope he was on. None of the other skiers ventured out to this fringe. They had no need to. They knew how to get down by the correct method. The trees were getting closer. He would really have to make an effort now to switch direction. He had no need to make a decision. The next second he was somersaulting through a dark, earthy, frightening tunnel. Vinny's ah turned to a shrill yell, and he closed his eyes. He heard a thud, then realized that he himself had made the sound as he landed on the tunnel's hard floor. Vinny, winded, kept his eyes closed. Shock made him stay very still. He had absolutely no idea whether he was curled in a ball or splayed out like a pinned butterfly. He opened his mouth to breathe and nothing happened. He was desperate to catch his breath. The effort forced him to open his eyes. He was on his back. Gingerly, he gazed ahead of him. He was looking at a snow ceiling. This really was scary. He would have given anything to have Arthur Mo join him. He wished now he had had the nerve to chase after his friend. Vinnie looked up to find that there was no sign of the hole he had fallen through. The next thing he saw was a tall person gesturing to him. Vinnie realised that he wasn't so much in a hole as in a passage. It was a passage carved through snow. White-walled, white-floored, white-roofed, it made the boy blink. He stared at the figure, a skinny individual in, in blue sky suit with a long, serious face. Not cruel-looking exactly, but not smiling. If he were to follow, where would he end up? There wasn't a great deal of choice. He had landed with one leg buckled beneath him. He looked desperately upward again, unable to make out how on earth the hole he'd fallen through had somehow filled up or been smoothed over. 
And all there, there was was this gloomy, clammy corridor and the weird bloke wanting Vinnie to follow him. I'm Sal Opet, the man said now, his voice very smooth, even, unhurried, but cold. Vinnie looked where he was pointing. Wide and low-ceilinged, the corridor stretched forever. A long walk lay ahead. It didn't appeal to Vinnie. But then his guide snapped his fingers in an odd back-to-front manner, and the floor beneath them began to move. As it did so, ski-toe buttons swung past, and Vinnie was signalled to take hold of one of these. Rising gingerly to his feet, he slotted the button between his legs and leaned back. He was pulled gently along. Vinnie tore his eyes from Sal's unusual long back. He looked down at his own feet and couldn't believe that he still had his skis on. This had to be a miracle after the fall he'd suffered. Generally, in his limited skiing experience, the first things to go in an accident were the planks. If, against all the odds of physics, they stayed on, then the minimum damage was a badly sprained ankle. But, but Vinnie was fine. He hadn't had time yet to take stock of where he was. He must be in shock, he decided, for here he was, obediently following the slim figure now gliding ahead, hardly leaning on his button. An odd thought came to him. I'm me, but somehow I'm not quite me. Who is this geezer, he wondered. What's his game? But the words that came out of his mouth were different from the ones he'd been thinking. State of the art, this transport system. Finney found he was speaking in a loud, bright voice. Yes, he sounded like someone else. Normally, if pushed, he might have muttered, Not a bad bit of kit. Where had the posh comment come from? Sal glanced round and down at Vinnie and said, Hmm, as if teenage boys regularly paid such compliments. His school Shoreham comp was far from well-to-do, but it had been able to organise this cut-price holiday using money left in the will of a past pupil. The deceased Ernest Warburton had been a keen skier himself, having spent part of the war hiding in the French Alps. Injured when his plane was shot down, Warburton, the airman, had been transported by his French resistance rescuers, on skis. That way they had been able to cross less accessible terrain away from the enemy's gaze. The experience had left him with a lifelong attachment to skiing, an unlikely pursuit for a rural Sussex lad. Vinnie and Arthur, through Ar Ernest Warburton's generosity, had been among the pupils who had received three lessons on a dry ski slope. Vinnie was a disaster on the football pitch. It gave him a good feeling to be doing something where the others didn't jeer at him. He learned as quickly as the others initially, and was excited when he received the school's letter with its reply slip inviting him on this trip. His parents could never normally have afforded a skiing holiday, but he was sure they would allow him to go on this cut-price trip. His dad not unexpectedly commented in a gruff voice, The odd kick around was good enough for me, and of course there's always the English Channel for free exercise. This had made Vinnie stare in amazement. You never swam the channel, Dad. Don't be adult, son. I just meant it's a free swimming pool. It was supposedly the one great advantage of living in Shoreham that a mere pebbles threw away was the windswept stony beach, which, for a total of about four weeks of the year, was actually a pleasant location for a bit of fun. Vinnie rarely went to the beach. Today, though, he had almost begun to feel at home among the snow-covered Alps. That, at least, had been the case while he was still above ground. 
To make matters still worse, in the tunnel, a series of earth-shaking crashes sounded suddenly. Vinnie jumped, both skis leaving the floor. He felt his mouth forming a phrase. He frowned as his lips tried to take over. What was he saying? I say, was what he almost uttered, though he managed to stop himself. Where were all these unfamiliar words coming from?